Thank you, everybody. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Okay, so we'll jump right in. Hi, everybody. Okay, so last week we spoke about faith below reason and faith above reason. So since we're online, I'm going to make, I'm going to throw out some clickbait. Clickbait. Does everybody know what clickbait is? Is when you say something provocative so that you know people tune in, they, they click on your video. So I'm not a big fan of religion, okay? That's my big statement for the day. And neither is the Baal Sulam, okay? And neither is Chabad. But we'll, and maybe, maybe there's other people, I don't know, but I know, I know those people are not into religion. So when we know, we talk, spoke about faith below reason and faith above reason. So we know that when somebody believes something and they're not learning, they're not developing, they're not moving forward, then it becomes obnoxious, it becomes annoying. If somebody believes something without growth, that's when this all the trouble sets in. And that's what people mean when they say religious. Obviously, I'm not talking about Torah and mitzvot. I'm not talking about Judaism or any of the other faiths. I'm talking about people who become religious in their behavior. And so here's another very fun thing to say. Secular people are some of the most religious people I know. Because what happens is when we're religious, we know we're religious. And so we know that there's a blind spot. We know that if we don't keep moving and developing, we can start to become very fixed in our positions and we can start to become, you know, obnoxious salespeople for what we believe, right? And so what's happened today in modern society is that there's people who don't, are not religious. They have not been trained in any kind of spiritual or religious practice. And they become very religious in their thinking. So whatever they put their faith in, that becomes very, they become very, you know, hardened in their positions. And so we see that's what's happening in the world today. So if you look to the secular world, to the scientific world, they have, they have their own messiah. So who is their messiah? Elon Musk. Everybody here know who Elon Musk is? Yeah. Okay, he's Tesla, the guy who invented Tesla. So he is, a lot of people are putting their faith in Elon Musk. He's a very, very smart guy, a very charismatic person, a very, very hard worker, and he's brilliant. And so he's come up with three principles for saving the world. The, the heading for this class is Kabbalah, Elon Musk, and saving the world. Okay? So if you go online today, you have everybody across the full spectrum of thought, and they're all telling you how we're going to fix the world. And so a lot of people in the secular world, not all of them, there's some very, very spiritually oriented uh, scientists who are some of the most, I think, important people that we have for moving forward and to really understand you have people like Arya Kaplan and Gerald Schroeder, who are both scientists who were um, who became observant Jews. I don't know if Gerald Schroeder, he's a quantum physicist, he taught at Princeton. I don't know if he was uh, religious from birth, but whatever the point is, uh, we have some. So I'm not, I'm not, God forbid, coming down on scientists. But let's just look at what Elon Musk, the Messiah of the secular techno, technology, technology people came up with for saving the world. So the first thing he said was electric cars. And the second thing he talked about, he talks about all the time is AI, artificial intelligence. And the third thing is going to Mars, okay? So these are the things that are gonna save humanity, according to Elon Musk. And maybe he's not being fully sincere, maybe he's a, a very good salesperson, maybe he's you know, uh, working on some kind of marketing for his own businesses. I don't know, but this is what he puts forth as the solutions for humanity. So let's, it, let's, te let's tell Elon Musk what is gonna happen if we put 
10 human beings on a spaceship and send them to Mars. They're going to kill each other. They're going to set up shop and then they're going to open up two synagogues, the one that they pray in and the one that they don't pray in. That's what's going to happen. So six months after they get to Mars, we will ha- that's what we'll have on Mars. So every, every problem that we have on... So what is happening to humanity that is making uh, all this trouble now in this last generation, the, for the final... We don't mean the last, absolute last generation. We mean that the whole 6,000-year um, process of, of evolution of consciousness is coming to a head now. So that's what we mean when we say the last generation. So... Um, so I forgot what my point was, but let's, so, so Elon Musk is thinking that those are the things that are going to save us, right? So what he sees, and he's a very smart person, obviously. So what he sees is that when people get too close to each other, they start to fight. And so America was this amazing experiment because we had this, all this land. And so if somebody disagreed with you, they wanted to start a cult, they would move 40 miles away from you in the desert and they would set up their shop. It would take you like at least 15 years before you would find out what they were up to. So, but what we have now with the internet is that we're, we're, we're being put together and we're not ready to be put together, okay? So that is the emergency that's happening now for humanity is that we are stuck with each other and now we're first starting to realize that there's nowhere to go and we're gonna have to face each other. And what it means when we say we face each other, we mean that we're gonna have to face ourselves and we have to figure out exactly what's wrong with humanity, okay? And so that's what's happening now. So it's, 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 it's very exciting, it's scary, but it's exciting and so, Elon Musk, who I like very much, he came up with something that's, uh, it's, I don't think it's his idea, but he quotes a, I don't know who in the secular world came up with this concept, but it's from the Torah, it's from Kabbalah, and he talks about first principles. He says when you want to solve a problem, you, have to, you should look for the most fundamental reason why the problem exists and fix it at the most fundamental level instead of fixing the symptoms. You know, so like, you know, the example I think he gave is that like he came into the lunchroom at work and people were fighting about using the microwave. And they were saying, you know, he's putting in his fish and his fish smells more than my chicken and I want to put my chicken first. And they were all fighting. And what he, instead of fixing this problem, he said 15 more minutes for lunch break. So what he did was he, he, he went to the most fundamental problem. He realized that the people, reason why people were fighting, the most fundamental reason is not because of the chicken and the fishes, it's just because they don't have enough time to eat their lunch and they're being rushed. So this is very Kabbalistic because if you look at all the wisdoms of the world, and feel free if you're, if you're coming to us, if you're joining us online, please disagree and come and tell me, uh, you know, if somebody has an opinion out there in, uh, on the interweb about um, what I'm saying. Um, so in Kabbalah, we say that the most fundamental thing that we could know as human beings is that God had a desire to give over pleasure to the created beings. That is the most fundamental. That's the first thing that we could possibly know as human beings. And we're not guessing about that. The reason why it says in Kabbalah that we know this is because when you become altruistic, and we know this as observant Jews, that we meet people who are very, very holy. And they start to care about other people and not care about themselves. And they start to have this kind of perception that we don't understand. They know things about the future. Uh, It seems like they know things about the future. They know things about us. They look at our faces and they understand something that we don't understand even about ourselves. So what's going on there? They are developing a sixth sense. And once we develop that sixth sense, we have an ability 
to perceive. It's like you imagine if you didn't hear, but you only you only smelled. You wouldn't know what we were talking about 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 hearing. But there's a sixth sense, and you know, in I hate to go to the Eastern philosophy because I don't want to confuse anybody or the wisdoms, but the pineal gland and this this they talk about the third eye, and we wear the tefillin very close to where they say that this places. So somewhere in here, there is a sixth sense that needs to be developed. And that develop, the only way to develop that is, is by becoming outside of yourself. And when you learn Torah and you do mitzvot with the internal, with eternal, uh, um, um, uh, what's it called? You have, what are they called? Um, I can't remember the word. Okay, it'll come to me. But we, when we learn Torah the right way, that is what we're doing. We're developing this altruistic sense, this selfless ability. And it, since God is selfless, that is the place where we find God. When we, when we enter into this spiritual realm, which is an altruistic realm, that is exactly where we're going to find Hashem, because that's where Hashem is, in the giving, right? So that's what Torah and Mitzvot are for. So, clear? Okay, very good. Moving on. So, we're talking about how what happened in America is that people, and in the Western world, is that people are now right on top of each other with the internet. We hear exactly what somebody says. So we have a racist, and we have a communist, and we have a, you know, all the people, and they literally tell us every day exactly what they think and what they intend to do to us. So it's very, it, we're right on top of each other. So, there was a rabbinical debate. My father was a, a very uh, wise person, a very beautiful person, and he was a rabbi. And around my table growing up, we always had conversations about the history of rabbinical Judaism in the United States and what happened in Europe and how when we came to America, there was a lot of discussions between the rabbis about how we're going to re, uh, redevelop Judaism, reinstitute Judaism, Torah Judaism in America. Big conversations between the conservative and even in the Orthodox you have um, Rabbi Soloveitchik from YU who tried to, who made some kind of hybrid between secular wisdom and Torah wisdom. You know, he put it together. You have Chabad, you have the yeshiva people, okay? And these people were in Europe, there was already a conversation about how to proceed. So what happened was, there was a, there were people in Europe who were not observant, they were actually against the Torah, they were Zionists, non-religious Zionists, and they wanted to go back to Israel. And then when they started to go back to Israel, um, there was a big discussion amongst the, the, the religious people, the rabbis, these gedolim in Europe is that what do we do now that they're going back to? So there was all different perspectives. Some people said we can't go back. Some people said we have to go back. Some people said um, we'll go back, but we'll ignore the people. We won't get involved in the government. All these different conversations about how to deal with this issue. Okay. So this parallels this argument also parallels the conversation about Kabbalah. So we had in Europe we had the Litvaks from the Vilna Gon, who was one of the biggest Kabbalists, and he, his students and his people, were of the opinion that first you need to develop all of the revealed Torah, you become a master in the revealed Torah, and you have you know, perfect behavior, and then you're doing all the mitzvot, and then from there you graduate into, you're married, you're 40 years old, you graduate into studying Kabbalah. Then we had the Baal Shem Tov, and the Baal Shem Tov said, we have a problem here. The problem is, is that we're excluding people from the people who are uneducated and people who are not Torah scholars and people who are not, uh, just for whatever reason, not able to get to, get to the yeshiva. So um, the, so 
so the Vilna Gaon has a concept called a question of ripeness when it comes to Kabbalah. He says that if you introduce an idea too early, too prematurely to somebody, it'll actually could possibly have the opposite effect that you want it to have. So the example would be if you have a, teen, uh, a girl who's 11 years old, a daughter who's 11 years old, you're very careful not to introduce concepts that are appropriate for a 16, 17, 18 year old girl who wants to, who's ready to get married, right? So we see that when we're developing somebody, it's very important to introduce concepts at the right time. First you build a foundation and then you introduce things. So the Baal Shem Tov came and said, wait a minute, I, I hear you, that that is true, but we have a problem is that, that the Torah is not for smart people. This is the Baal Shem says, the Torah is not for smart people, the Torah is for all of us to become better people. So the, um, so what we, so the Baal Shem Tov came and said, listen, I, we're gonna develop something called Hasidut, where we're going to, um, we're going to look, introduce Kabbalistic ideas through the language of the revealed Torah. Okay, that's a very old, a huge oversimplification about what we're talking about, but that's in, in a, the gist of it is that that was the Hasidic approach, okay? So, when the Jewish people started to return to Israel, the Baal Sulam said, Rav Yehuda Ashlag said, and he was not alone, I think that all the Torah scholars would agree with him, is that this is an indication of the latest generations of the, un, un, of the unfolding of history and that this is a new phase of development for humanity that the Jews are now going back after 2,000 years to the land of Israel, okay? So the Baal Sulam was the, of the opinion that because of the danger of now that the entire world is going to be able to see the Jewish people as a nation in the physical realm, they're actually gonna be able to see the Jews with land. Now that's exactly the thing that the, that the non Jewish people were saying that the Jewish people are not a true nation. They're not a nation like the 70 nations. The, Jew, the Torah says the exact same thing, that the Jewish people are a nation, primarily a spiritual nation, and when they follow the spiritual uh, uh, the instructions, they then have the, uh, they have the right to the physical land. So the Baal Sum was saying, if you start to see Jews with shovels and rakes and planting trees, People are gonna say, whoa, 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 whoa. And I hate to quote a big Russia, but Ahmadinejad said the Jews are not the right, they're not the real Jews, they're, they're fake, the fake Jews are back in Israel. What he meant is that the people who are not following the Torah are, don't belong in Israel. Okay, let's not, I don't believe that, and I don't agree with that position, but let's just point out that he understood something yes. very deep. Just mentioned when the Baal Turin lived, that we know that it's many years ago. But, uh... That when what? The Baal Turim lived many, many I'm years ago. I'm not talking ago. about the Baal I'm saying the Baal, Baal Sulam. Ah, the Baal Sulam. You, Rabbi Huda Ashlag. The, I love Sorry. the Baal Turim. He's, <laughs> I love his Torahs, they're amazing. A lot of Gematrias. No, it's okay. Um, so, the Baal Sulam was, the, was of the opinion that we should be learning Kabbalah openly, that people are ready for it and people understand it. So we had a little bit of a, a difference of opinion, three different opinions, okay? Now, I like to do is I like to look and say, no one's making a mistake. When I see Gedolim, they're discussing strategies, no one's making a mistake. The Jewish people are likened, I think it's the Rambam who says it, to an army. So an army has different units, and different units are learning different things, carrying different equipment, and have different jobs, okay? So what we see now is that, how many years later, 70 something years later, we see now we have an amazing situation on our hands. What do we have? We have a full menu of ways of learning Torah, and a person, has the ability to pick and choose and to find what works for them, okay? And so 
the Balashulam says something very beautiful. Okay, he says, how do I know that I should be studying Kabbalah? Okay, so the Balashulam brings a Rashi, and in the Rashi it says that the Levim studied, I don't know where it is, I have to, would have to look it up, but that if you know, you tell me that the, the, that the, uh, the Levim studied for seven years. And if, if, so he quotes that Rashi and he says, because for seven years is the appropriate amount of time for a person to dedicate themselves to a derech, to a, to a path, and see results. And then the Balaslam says, I'm not sure which Hakdama it's in, but everything I'm saying, and I hope I'm, I'm accurate, is from the Hakdamot of the Balaslam. So the, the, the Balaslam comes and says, a person should study for seven years, and if it's not working, they should switch their derech. So what does he mean by, the Balaslam says, what do I mean when I say it's not working? Do I mean that a person is not becoming, uh, uh, you know, a machine that can, a computer that can memorize everything? That he's not getting good marks? No, what I mean is that the medicine is not going in, that he's not becoming a better person. So we see today he's that we have- He's not seeing a siman bracha, a siman bracha. exactly. He's not seeing a blessing. And the blessing that he's looking for is that the Torah is medicine and it makes you into a good person. So this is now, just as quick aside, there's a whole spectrum of people learning Ashlag Kabbalah. There are Hasidim, ultra-Orthodox people who are learning Ashlag, and then there are people who are not observant, and that's a separate class and something that we can discuss because some people think that if you learn Kabbalah, you're gonna go off the derech, and we can have that conversation. It's a very big conversation within the community of people who are studying Kabbalah, and I just shoot to the chase, it's not true, that it doesn't make you go off the derech, but it's an important thing to talk about and to, to think about. So, if a person is studying Torah and they are becoming, they're becoming a more edel, more refined, more generous, more humble, more modest, then it's an appropriate thing for them to keep studying uh, uh, the way they are. I just remember what I wanted to say. So what I wanted to say was that, um, I can't remember, it'll come back to me. Okay, so. Let me look at my notes. So back to the story about uh, Ashlag and what was happening in Europe and what happened. So Rabbi Shalom Ashlag lived in Tel Aviv and B'nai Brak, and he used to drive around to different gedolim and ask them to please sign a letter or to go speak, say out loud that people should be studying Kabbalah outright. And nobody, nobody, uh, nobody, uh, signed the letter and the, the Rabbi Ashlag also went to, and everybody who knows me knows him, a Chabad Chassid, and the, the, one of the children of the Balasulam, I believe he had 13 boys, I'm not sure if they're boys or 13 children, but one of his sons, who was also a, a, a big Mukubal, went to the Lubavitcher Rebbe and he asked the Lubavitcher Rebbe to please tell the world that they should be learning Chabad, they should be learning Ashlag Kabbalah. He didn't say Ashlag Kabbalah, he should be learning Kabbalah openly. The Lubavitcher Rebbe did not say, he said, I, I'm not signing that, because I have the derech of my father-in-law, the Rebbe, his, his Rebbe, and that his way is the derech of the Baal Shem Tov and of Hasidut. And we started discussing it already, what the advantages are of, of Hasidut over Kabbalah, but let's leave that for a minute. What happened though in this very famous clip is that as this Ashlag rabbi was leaving, the Rebbe said, called him back and started giving him dollars and said, I wanna be a partner I'm not against anybody else's derech, and I want to be a partner in your work, and you have to get your books out there. And so the Rebbe gave him dollars and said that he's a partner in his endeavor. And the Rebbe famously gave money to, and, and support to all the different derechs. So you see that 
if you think about things from a higher vantage point, we're all doing our thing, and everybody who's a co- you know doing it according to halacha is doing is has a kosher derech. If at the top of your derech you have a gadol, if you have Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, or you have you have Rabbi Kamenetsky, or you have Rabbi uh, the um, um, the Lubavitcher Rebbe or the Sama Rebbe, it's a kosher derech. The question is, is a person, now, to, nowadays, is a person growing and is a person in the, in, the, in the right derech? And today we have an amazing situation where we can literally find whatever we want and we can find the people who are learning and it's an amazing thing. And we can even do something like a crazy thing like I'm doing, which is I'm learning two different systems at the same time and looking for things that are, and I, went, I just went to Orhaga News, which is a, a commune, that's a Ashlag commune, and I told them who I am, and I started speaking to people, and I told them that I'm, I'm a Chabad Chassid, but I learned Ashlag. And he took off the shelf a book. He said, look, one of the guys here just wrote a book about Ashlag on Tanya. Mm-hmm. So you see that these things fit together. And if you find yourself, we spoke about paradoxes. If you find yourself, you know, feeling like things don't make sense, it probably means you have to go to a higher vantage point and look down at what you're doing and try to look for a little bit more room. So to answer, so just as, a, as a, 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 an Ashlag, um, advice, if you're in a system and it's working for you and you're becoming more edel, you're probably in the right place. If you're becoming more and more arrogant or, you know, uh, what's the word, rigid, perhaps you should think about adding chasidut or adding kabbalah to your, to what you're doing. Okay? Any questions? So I remember the point that I, kind of the tangent that I dropped off, Okay. So there's, there's ultra-Orthodox people learning Ashlag, and there are non-observant people learning Ashlag right now. In, there's people who are learning in, in, that they're translating Ashlag into all these different languages, in, uh, English, French, Spanish, Arabic, Russian, okay? So they have this in Israel, from Israel, and they have thousands of people. They're not keeping halacha the way that we do, and we have that. We have people who are ultra-Orthodox who are learning in Yiddish and Hebrew. There are very, very few places there happen to be three t- people in Sfat that I know about who are teaching. You had somebody, you had Yedida on the sh- on the, yeah. Yes, she's amazing, unbelievable. And we have um, um, Avram Lowenthal, yeah. okay? So we have people who, but we have a very, very few places for observant Jewish people who are want to learn Ashlag in English. So I really th- try to try in this class to always come back to the particular problems that in old, it's funny to say that you, you have, if you're not observant, you don't have less problems learning Kabbalah than if you are. And so this thing seems very illogical, paradoxical, confusing, but it's very simple. But what we always have to do is we always have to transcend the paradox. So why would it be that a person who's more observant might have a harder time learning Kabbalah and a person who's less observant might have an easier time, okay? This is something that confuses people and they usually come to the conclusion, oh, they're not ready for Kabbalah. Okay, but there's a much simpler, yeah? May I ask a question? Please. I just want a clarification, you know? So you said if you start to learn something and you find, and you have like kind of a science that it's good for you, that the medicine is work, is like if you become like more refined, right? This is one sign, you get more generous, more selfless, Correct. selflessness. Correct. More maybe happy, more relaxed, more you exactly. know, satisfied with your life. This yes. Is, Yes. Good sign. Yes. yes. On the other hand, if let's say I start to learn Kabbalah or you know Ashlag or whatever, I find myself more stressed, sad, I got more nervous. This this like bad signs. I better like don't don't get to it yet. 
this this what you said before i understand so so this is a this is a very deep question and we start talking about it let me finish the point that i'm making and i'm going to return to this because what you're saying is extremely deep and i'll explain to you the conversation that the kabbalists have about this okay so returning to this first what we're talking about about observant people imagine you have you i i always return to the mountain climbing uh analogy and obviously in the Torah we have Har Sinai, Har Sinai and so it's not my own metaphor but here we are mountain climbing as a analogy here imagine you come to the mountain and there's different mountain climbing schools now one of them is going so fast up the mountain okay they have a mountain camping called uh, ultralight and light gear so you can get gear that costs like a cup that costs two hundred dollars it's made out of titanium that weighs one ounce or you can pay $10 for a cup that weighs 10 ounces. And so people who are wa walking over 20 miles a day, some people walk 40 miles a day, believe it or not, they need ultra light uh, stuff. And so they buy bags that last only one season. They buy a tent that lasts only one season. It's made out of like these fibers and it literally disintegrates after one year, but, and it costs $600, but they buy it because they're gonna be moving very, very quickly. So you come, you're like, you know, 18 years old, you're strong as an ox. You come there, right? And you're like a cool guy. Immediately you gravitate towards these ultralight runners. You say, wow, these guys are the best. They go up, it takes them three weeks to get to the top of the mountain and everybody else takes six months, right? So let's look at this people who take six months, okay? So the, the Alta Rebbe who wrote Tanya said, he wrote a letter before Tanya and it, it, before his book and he said, my way is the fast, slow way. No, the slow, fast way. He said, my way is the slow, fast way, meaning that you're gonna look at my way and you're gonna think it's, you're gonna see that there's other systems that are faster, but when you really evaluate what's going on, you might, you'll just, you'll might agree with me that my way is the fastest way to go, but I go a little bit slower than everybody else goes, right? There's once a very famous uh, story about this, that um, one of these famous chefs was on TV and he had a, an American chef, or he's English, and he had a, um, a Japanese sushi chef on, and he said, let's see who can cut the salmon quicker. So they both started cutting the salmon and the American chef was trying to go as fast as the Japanese guy and he mangled his fish and, this, and, this, and the Japanese guy finishes cutting his salmon like this thin, like right like you know, half the time. So he said, how did you go so fast? Said the Japanese guy, he goes, he goes, I went slower than you. That's how I went faster than you, by going slower to you. And you see sometimes, I was in like, I go to, sometimes I go to like ultra orthodox shul, like a satmer, and I'm sitting there and I'm racing through my davening and this guy sounds like he's going so slow. He's going blah, 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 blah. And he's getting through the paragraphs of prayer twice as fast as me. And he's, if I hear him, he's slower than me. And I'm like, right, because he's, it's a different part of the brain. So the author Rebbe says that his way is the slow, fast way. So when you go to these mountain climbers, now imagine if you went to the ultra light climbers and you said, wow, you guys are only carrying 15 pounds of gear. How do you get back down the mountain? He says, oh, we don't get back down the mountain. They come and they get us with a van or a helicopter. They come with a helicopter and get us. <laughs> oh, okay. So what happens when, so now we can go to the nimshal, to the, act, the analog of this, of this, uh, of this uh, an analogy, that in, what we're doing in Torah Judaism is we're trying to maintain our physicality even as we develop our spirituality. So if you have somebody who has a family and has all of these begadim, they're called, these garments of the uh, galut, that they've done all of this work and they've done, or they developed their physical ability to live in the physical world in, the, in, a, in a way that is in, aligned with spirituality, they have a lot to lose 
by then engaging, and this is we're gonna this is an introduction to your question. They have a lot to lose by starting to do another system, a system within a system. Imagine if I told you, go up, I want you to go up the mountain. Oh, and by the way, I want you to start a band. <laughs> You'd be like, okay, thank you. Now I have to bring a guitar with me and I'm going up the mountain, right? So it's a, it's a forced analogy, but the, but the point is that we see that, that, that Kabbalah has some rules and some ways of thinking that are seemingly contradictory or paradoxic, paradoxical to the revealed Torah, or a better way of saying it is that they don't mesh perfectly. It says in, uh, in, the, in the Gemara that when you have a contradiction between Kabbalah and Halacha, you follow Halacha because we're down here, we're not up there. And so, right, they had the rabbis and they were arguing about something and then a voice came out of Shamayim that said, I go with this rabbi. And then the Rabbi Yehuda Nasi, who was the head of the Sanhedrin, said, I don't listen to you because you're coming, you're, 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 your voice is from heaven and I'm down here and I'm the boss down here and we're following the other guy. Okay, so when we have a, when we have a, uh, a contradiction, we try, we try, we, we paskin according to halacha, not according to Kabbalah, okay? It's a very important concept. So we see that people who are observant, sometimes they have to move slower, what looks like they're moving slower, but they're actually moving twice, much, much faster because they have all of this whole other thing that they're bringing up the mountain and bringing back down the mountain to talk within the, you know, within the metaphor, right? They're going to engage spirituality even as they refine themselves physically. So if you have somebody who is, doesn't have any of those uh, concerns, they're only going to engage capitalistically. Make sense, everybody? Yeah. Okay. Back to my notes. Let me see if I have anything else here. Okay. So we said that Torah and mitzvot are the answer to the problems of the world and that you know, going to Mars and you know, AI as nice as these things are, they are they are neutral. They can be used for good and they can be used for bad, right? The internet, you can use it for the most amazing things, you can use it for the worst things in the world. These are pipes, these are it's, uh, these are things that can be used out for for good and bad. In Hasidut, we call it klipanoga, right? The neutral, uh, the neutral uh, non-holy things. So if you have a car, you can drive it to the movies or you can drive it to the base measures, right? That's neutral, it's called klipanoga. You have things that you can't use that all, right? So you can't eat non-kosher, so you can't say, let's eat this delicious pig and then study Torah, you can't do that. And there's things that are Kedusha that already have intrinsic uh, holy, holiness, like a Sefer Torah, a pair of tefillin, right? So these are things that are, that are already holy and we can use those things too. So how is it that Kabbalah is gonna fix the world, okay? So the, the answer is that in a nutshell is that the solution is that we fix ourselves and this is something that the world does not yet perceive. So the whole, the, 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 the uh, system of the United States government was, the Constitution of the United States government, is that we're all gonna act in our own best self-interest. You are gonna take care of you and I'm gonna take care of me and we're gonna stay out of each other's way. I'm not gonna take your things and you're not gonna take my things, right? This is a huge advancement. We talked about this already. This is a huge advancement in the development of the world, but it's not enough. We need to take another step. And so how are we gonna get along? So if I'm a nicer person, and I don't mean nice, right? I mean, I'm more altruistic and I'm more refined and I'm more modest and I'm more within my boundaries, then it's okay. Um, sorry guys, a bird just came in. Okay, um, so if I fix myself and I become more altruistic, more kind, more willing, more able to be live within my boundaries, I'm gonna get along with you much more easily. So the answer, 
even though a lot of the world does not see this yet, is that through a system, and Torah and Mitzvah is not only for Jewish people. We've gone through a very long 6,000 year development, and Torah and Mitzvot, there's different, uh, depending on a person's uh, background, there are different levels. We in Judaism, we have Kohanim, we have Levim, we have rabbis, we have the lay people. We have a hierarchical system, and the way that you, you, you create a true unity is by having a hierarchy and a unity at the same time. I don't have to say that I know as much as you, and I don't have to be as pious as this person, but we do have to all engage the same system at our level, okay? So the Torah and mitzvot, the system of fixing ourselves is for the whole world. And that's what we are, that's what we mean by Torah and mitzvot. So when we, if we go to Mars without Torah and mitzvot, without Kabbalah, without understanding that the problem is within us, we are destined for very big problems. Like I said before, the Bala Sulam explains that we're gonna get to the end of the road. Not only the Bala Sulam, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, everybody says the same thing. It's already a it's already a hundred percent sure thing that we are going to end up in a good place. The question is, how much suffering do we go through to get there? And so, to, the path of, of of love is when we understand where we're going and how where we're headed. And the path of pain is when we just stumble through things and try to figure things out and like just do like you know, we'll try electric cars, we'll try going to Mars, we'll try to do all these things, and we don't actually um, have a effective manual for moving forward. You're okay? suggesting the Kabbalah is a solution to the problems of the world? Is that what you're saying? Yes, this is exactly what the Baal Shalom says. I'm not suggesting it. This is the most emphatic statement that you can make. That the only way to fix the world is by uniting humanity. And the only way to unite humanity is if we transcend our ego. And the only way to transcend our ego is to engage the higher force, which is Hashem, is there are the spheros, which are these levels of consciousness where that are actually, um, there are actually souls congregating in a non-physical space in all these levels, and each one more and more altruistic, and that when we all reach our level that our soul belongs in, we will then be able to, um, to unite humanity and go, 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 that's Mashiach. Can you, can you explain why the rabbis didn't sign the, the, that document? Yes, That's we said case. it, and I will say it again in, in another way. And let's please jump in if you have a if you if you have a better way. Anybody have a better way of saying this or an insight? So we have Torah and mitzvot, and we have six thousand years of development. So in Torah, we have coming together and separating. We separate in, in in order to come together. So we have a man and wife. A man and wife separate for two weeks out of the month and then they come back together. We have six days of the week, and then we have Shabbat. We, have, we live in a dualistic construct. We live in, a, in, a, in, a, in, in our finite space. Everything is set against something else. We have good against bad, up against down, right against left. Everything is, the, is, is set like that. We don't have, the only unity that we know, the only true unity we know is by saying, God is not this way. God is not like A and B. God is all, everything together. So we can't comprehend that, but we can imagine that God is the opposite of the way we are. And the way we are is we're in this linear, dualistic, developmental process. I hope I'm not being too uh, fancy here. What I'm saying is, is that if you start to do something too soon, it could have a, 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 the adverse effect. So in Europe, they had Shopsai the Frankists, and if you look at the Torah, if you look in the Gemara, you see that they had all these, the, the Sudukim, and they had all of these groups of people who jumped the gun, 
who started something that they couldn't handle too soon, and it led them down a very, very, uh, you know, a, a, a undesirable path. So what's this, what's telling what's telling you that the Ashlag didn't start it too soon? Like, why are you saying that the Ashlag insistence on the Kabbalah's solution to the world Amazing. is now timely? Amazing, beautiful. I'm looking at the end, and it says in the Gemara, who knows who's wise? The one who looks at the end. So I look at what happened. All the rabbis argued, and nobody they couldn't decide who's right, because they were all right. Some people need to learn the way they're learning this way, and some people learn, need to learn the way they're learning that way. So what we have now, 70 years later, 80 years later after Europe, is we have all the different ways to learn, and some people know that they should be learning in yeshiva, learning Gemara all day. I personally can't learn eight hours of Gemara a day, so I started that way, and I was like, I can't do this, it's not for me, I don't know what's going on here, I don't know why I'm doing it, and I can't do it. So we see now that, you can, that a person has to make a find their place, a choice, make a choice and find out where they want to learn what they're, so if I went to a mount, if I went to a mountain and there were different mountain climbers and somebody said, this happened to me, said, we're going up this way. And I said, oh, that's too hard for me. I can't go up that way. And so the other guy said, we're going up an easier way. And so I chose the easier guy because I knew, I know what my, my place is. And so what we need to do is we need to say to ourselves, now, with the internet and with everything that's going on in the world, there's nobody who doesn't have this at their disposal anyway. So it's like the cat's out of the bag. Most people have the ability to like look and see, well, what, you know, what are these guys doing? What are those guys doing? You go to shul, you see a bunch of Chabadniks running down the street with a flag and you see some Litvish guys with ties on. You see it anyway. And so the point is that we have a choice. And so let's, the, the Rab Ashlag comes and says, how do you know that you should be studying something other than what you're studying if you're, it's not working for you? Is that clear? But you're saying that the, uh, you, you also, th there's two things you're saying. You're saying that there's many different options and you've got to pick the options that works for you. I understand that. But then you also said a statement that the solution to the world is Kabbalah, suggesting that we should all be learning Kabbalah Amazing. in order to serve the soul Amazing. I mean, thank you for clarifying. Okay, so, Ashla comes and says, if you learn Gemara with the right intention, that's the word that I can remember before, intention, kavana. If you learn Gemara the right way, it will work exactly the same way as if you learn Kabbalah. If you are learning the right way, the, the issue is, is that what happens is, and this is a little bit complicated, each generation has somebody who speaks to them most clearly. And so, in, in the last generation, my generation, I feel Lubavitcher Rebbe spoke the most clearly for the general group. And then there's people who are more, who feel that somebody else is speaking to them in a language that's more, more appropriate for them, that, that's more understandable for them. So if you're learning Gemara and you're learning about uh, making a contract with somebody over a bunch of beans, and you understand that that's supposed to make you a better person, and you understand that that's, you're looking for Deveikut with Hashem, and you're there, the, 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 the Vilna Gon says, I'm sorry, Rabbi Ashlag says, stay there. It's working. You got it. You understand what's going on. But if you're becoming, if you don't understand why you're doing what you're doing, or let's say in this, let's be honest, if you're leaving, if you pack your bags and you say, I'm not, I don't want to be observant anymore. I don't know what they're doing. I don't like it. And I know plenty of people who are my friends or, you know, people I meet in the street and I don't like them. And so I'm not becoming, I'm not religious anymore. I'm going to go to Tel Aviv. I'm going to go to the beach because I like to do that. And so if that's what's happening to you and you're confused and you're missing the point and no one's explained to you the point, try Hasidut, try Kabbalah. That's what they're saying. Yeah? Okay? Make sense?
Yeah. Is there can a follow? I, can, can I clarify? So yes, you're saying that, that every path, there's many paths, and every path can lead you there. So I'm just trying to retract the, the idea that the only solution to the world's problem is Kabbalah. I'm just, I, I so, feel uncomfortable. With I that. understand what you're saying. Okay. So when I say Kabbalah, I mean Torah and mitzvahs. Okay? Yeah. Now, the Elon Musk came up by himself with this first principles concept. That is a principle from Kabbalah. He came up with it. It's, we live in the same world. We all live. All of humanity is one soul. And within that one soul, we have different pieces of the soul. And you might find yourself more in line, more comfortable with people who are, let's say, the lungs of the soul. This is an analogy, right? And somebody else might find, I am the brain of the, you know, I am the, the, we had the 12 tribes left Egypt and they had an order of when they were walking in the desert. Why did they have an order? Because they had people who were business people and they had people who were like teachers and they had people who were sailors and they realized that some people don't get along with other people and so they had an order in which they walk. And so our, when we put together this communal soul, we have two forces that we're gonna be working with, staying away from each other and coming close to each other. Mm -hmm. And so you find your group and hopefully if you become strong enough in your derech, you can appreciate, you can say, you know, you know who has a great way of doing this thing? The Somers. You know who has a great way? You know who we need right now? We need the Breslovers. You know, if when we get to the place where we start to see that my space is where I belong and somebody else's space is where they belong and that there's, it's all still one system and we're all still one earth with all these people on it, we start to, the more we understand where we belong, the more we can make room for other people where they belong and this and it, somehow it all magically comes together. So. I'm not saying that everybody's going to be learning Ashla Kabbalah from the Zohar. No, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying to you is that the solutions that are outlined in the Torah are the solutions that are gonna fix the world and the solutions that are contrary to that are not gonna fix the world. Now, I don't need to prove that to anybody. We're gonna find out if that's true. And so if somebody thinks that they can go to Mars and that is the solution for humanity or buy an electric car, then okay, I'm happy with them saying that, let's see. And so people put their faith in a lot of things. People put their faith in science, people put their faith in, right? So this is not something that we have to argue about. It's just, it's, um, I think Gerald Schroeder, who's a quantum physicist, he's also, he's a Torah scholar and a quantum physicist. And he said something very funny. He said, I don't like to have conversations about science with rabbis, and I don't like to have rabbinical conversations with scientists. What he's saying is, if you want to have an argument about the difference between Chabad and, and Satmar, your first, the first, the prerequisite for that argument is that you know both of them. You understand what they're both saying. And 90% of the people who are arguing don't really appreciate, it's called a strongman argument in logic. If you, you have to put the other person's best argument forward and then you can start to argue with them. But don't poo-poo on somebody else's what they're saying. And so scientists are, they are a very important part of this puzzle. And so we need scientists who find, if, if, if a scientist comes, up, comes a look, figures out by looking in the microscope that we need to be nicer to each other and that there's a way to do that, then he's learning, to, he's learning something that's in the Torah and that's what we need. And that's happening more and more and more as we move through, uh, as we move through history, we're seeing that people are saying the right things. And so, you know, I hate to say it this way, but the world has become a very Jewish place. We're all saying the right things. If you're saying we should love each other, then you're saying what it says in the Torah. If you're saying it's hard to love each other, you're saying what it's, it's saying in the Torah. If you're saying there's 
we need God in the picture in order to, uh, to, to do this work. We need an upper force. We need something outside of ourselves. We need to tr the transcendent light. We need to find something that's happening above, outside of ourselves. And if you see people who are behaving well, and you see that they have a godly way about them, a holy way about them, a selfless way about them, that's what we're looking for, okay? Now, the reason why this takes us into a conversation that we didn't, it wasn't on the syllabus, but we should have this conversation. So why don't Jewish, why don't the rabbis uh, tell people to go ahead and look to other systems, okay? And this is a very important point, and it's very important that we say this before we learn Kabbalah. Actually, it is on my syllabus, okay? We say there's only God, ain't old Mavado. There's only one force in the world, there's only God, including even me. There's nothing outside of God. The evil inclination, everything that's here, good and what we call bad, everything is God, okay? We have to understand what that means, but that's what we say. And then the next thing we start talking about in Kabbalah is that we have spheros, that we have all of these, that we have all of these um, spiritual worlds and energies and forces, okay? So this is where people, and I live in Sfat, and we have a lot of healers here, and I'm not coming to say anything bad against anybody else. I do a lot of different healing practices, and so I'm just saying that in Torah Judaism, in Torah mitzvot, we are only dealing with Hashem Himself. Our only place that we want something, we don't say, oh, the power of the sun, the power of Mars, I'm in the right, you know, I'm in the, this is a good day for me to do the work because it's in this, you know, I don't know anything about astrology, but you know, they say something about astrology or they say something about the power of love, the power of, of all these things. We do not do that in Torah Judaism. We are only dealing with Hashem. These cascading different um, forces that we see is a gift that Hashem gives us because we are finite so that we can do the work of understanding Him. I'll give you a very easy analogy for this, okay? Imagine you come, you have a beautiful house in Westchester and you have a beautiful wife, beautiful children. They all go to school. They're all doing well. You belong to this congregation. Everything is amazing. You come home and your wife says, I'm really pissed at you. And you say, what's wrong? We have the most perfect life we ever had. Just, you don't see me. You don't see me. So what are you talking about? I don't see you. I go to work all day. I buy you. Everybody in the family has a car. We have the most gorgeous house. Everybody's going to summer camp. For Pesach, we go to the hotel. What do you mean I don't see you? I mean, that you're busy with all of these things, but it never comes back to like looking at me and understanding me and seeing if I'm happy or how I feel about something, okay? So women that we know, and we're gonna have a whole class about, about femininity and about uh, the, the role of, of women in Kabbalah. It's a central role, it's, a, it's, the, it's the highest role, but we have to have a whole class about it. And if there's any women that are watching the class, please, if you feel like just writing, either you can uh, uh, um, message me privately if you don't wanna put your name there, but if you wanna put your name and just say that you're watching and that you're with us, I would appreciate it because in a few classes, we're gonna have a class that's dedicated to just talking about the feminine aspect and women in general. And um, so if you wanna put your name there, I'll just know that you're out there and we can make sure that people know when we're gonna have this class about women in Ashwa Kabbalah. So um, what was I just saying? <laughs> you were saying a lot of things. <laughs> Too fast, um, okay. So how are we on time? Um, I think until until he it's comes to you, just continue. Okay, so one more one more point that Ashlag says. If I forgot that point, guys, I'm, I know I talk very quickly and I go in, in a lot of different directions. If I forgot that point, I promise you I'll watch the video and I'll come back to the point and I have clarifications for all my other little past classes 
and God willing, we're going to get to them. But um, one more thing that Rabbi Ashlag says about if you should be learning Kabbalah, okay? And this is very important. It's called the point in the heart. And they talk about the same thing in Hasidut, but again, the descriptions are a little bit different, and I like both very much, and I think both of them, uh, both Ashlag and Chabad Hasidus bring out a different uh, nuance to the same point, but there's something called a point in the heart, okay? So, when a person is young, they think, I am going to get a Ferrari, and everybody's gonna know my name, and I'm gonna be happy, okay? And it's just the way that God built us. What happens is you live your life, and when you get to 40 years old, and this is another reason why 40 is that magic age, when you get to 40 years old, you realize there are not enough Ferraris in the world to make you happy. You realize that it's just not gonna happen. You realize that if you have, it says in the Gemara, if you have two cars, you want four cars. If you have four cars, you want eight cars, right? It's just not gonna happen. So at 40, I tell people, I know everything that I know everything there is to know. And people don't understand what I mean, but it's an Ashlag comment, which means, you know that it's just not gonna work out the way you thought it was gonna work out when you're 17 years old, okay? When I was 17 years old, I had a mo motorcycle, that was it. I didn't need, if I had gas money, it was, gonna, it was a good day, you know? That was gonna be an amazing day because I believe that the whole world is my oyster and I'm going, not kosher, I'm gonna, uh, my whole, the whole world is my oyster and I'm just gonna live and live and take and take and take and get and get and get and it's gonna be better and better and better and it's gonna keep going, okay? So that, when you, a person realizes that that is not going to happen, that they're gonna get old and they're gonna be disappointed. It says in the Gemara that it's just not worth it. It's never gonna work out for a person. The money and the fame and all, even knowledge, even spiritual wisdom is not going to work out for us without finding Hashem himself, without the Vekut, adhesion with the Creator. Unless you make your wife happy, the, f the cars in the garage and the summer camp and the thing is not gonna work out for you guys. It's not just the way it works and so when you realize that, you realize that a guy who's a, a you know a construction worker who's having a picnic with his wife and eating you know white bread sandwiches might be have a happier marriage than you with all your you know all of your fancy stuff in Westchester. Okay, so the another way that a person awakens to Kabbalah is when they realize it's just not going to work. It's called the point in the heart. When a person has a realization is. Why, now, a lot of people who are secular philosophers, this is why Ashlag and Rav Nachman say stay away from philosophy because people say God must be a trickster because he made a world where you have cake, you eat the cake, and then you eat three pieces of cake and then it doesn't work out for you. And you're like miserable, right? So what happens? So whoever did this is really just playing with us, right? And so the Greeks came up with a whole system where they had all these gods who were just messing around with us. And it was a big, like an ant farm. We were the, we were the guinea pigs. And they were brown. They used to come in. They didn't have TV back then. They didn't have the internet. So they used to come around. They used to look down at the world and say, ha, ha, ha. Look what I just did to Shlomo Gatsi. Ha, ha, ha. I got him in a fancy house. And now he's got to move again because his wife doesn't like the, uh, the windows. <laughs> right? So this is what people think because they don't realize what the whole, they don't have the first principles thinking of understanding why God created the world. So God wants you to know that that's not enough. God wants you to trade up and trade up and trade up and you keep it, there's a, a TV show called The Price is Right. I don't know if anybody remember it. The Price is Right, no? Where you would get some prize and then the, the guy would ask you, the host would ask you, do you want to trade it for what's behind the curtain? And you don't know what's behind the curtain. And you keep trading up. You see that on the internet, these, these things now where people go over and go, $5 if you tell me three countries that start with the letter A. And then they say, you get the $5 and you want to trade it for like a second question, you keep trading up. So this is a, the, the, the way that God made the world is that we're going to keep coming up against this 
feeling of, you know, that it's not working out until we choose the highest, highest thing, which is Gmar Tikkun, which is the purpose for creation, which is God himself. And once we have that as a, as a uh, objective, and we attain that level of spirituality, of that consciousness, of that connection, once we get there, there's gonna be, and I said this already, but we keep saying this in Ashlag, we're just gonna say the same thing over and over again. If you're wondering why I could say it like this, is because there's not a lot to Ashlag, as funny as that sounds, it's only talking about this. So I, if you learn for two, three, four, five, ten 10 years, you're gonna be able to speak, say, just like me, there's a hundred guys, just like me, you could just ba 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 Ashlag all day. And you see it also with Chabadniks, they could just keep saying it you know, nonstop, because it's very narrow. We're just talking about the Vekut with Hashem. And so when we get to this place where we, when you get to your place where your wife is happy with you and we're the wife in this analogy and Hashem is the husband when we get to that place it's not if you have a tuna fish sandwich you're going to have a tuna fish sandwich if you have a sushi you're going to have sushi if you have caviar you can, it's not going to matter the stuff is nice but you're going to find the stuff that works best for you and your wife and your family right so you, you asked me how do you know which place is right for you so if you feel closest to Hashem by being a Breslover, then you're, that's, your, that's your move. It's your choice. You have like a buffet. And so if you feel like it's, that's you, then you're going to your, that's, you're in the right place. You're happy with what you have, right? And so I know for myself that if I was going on a date, I don't want to go to a, table, a place where there's a white tablecloth and the guy's playing the violin for me. I don't care if you tell me it's a Michelin five-star restaurant. I don't want to be there. I'd rather be in like some cool hipster joint in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, where, you know, they're authentically from like, you know, Ecuador and they're just down to earth. That's who I am and that's where I want to be. And so that's another answer that we just came across by just having this conversation is that you'll know it when you get there. You'll know that you're there. Yes. There are probably possibility that there's also in one's life different phases. One phase, this one is suitable for you, like, what yes. you're right now. Yes, yes. Different phase, you grow up a little bit, you want something yes. else, Yes, yes. You know? So, yes, so when you go to yeshiva, there's a lot of things they don't tell you. It says in the Gemara, the, the, the sages reveal one and hide two, okay? When you're developing, when you have your children, you'll see, as you speak to your children, that there's just as many things that you're not trying to say as you are trying to say, okay? <laughs> so one of the things that they don't try to tell you, they tell you a mushal, an analogy, in Torah Judaism and Hasidut is there was this Hasid and he was in Europe and he rode his donkey from all across Europe looking for his rabbi. Right? They have all these stories. So he went to Poland and he went to this rabbi and he says, this guy's not my rabbi. So this is exactly what we're talking about. So go and try and see. It says Bore. In the Ashlag, Rabbi Ashlag says there's many names of Hashem. One of the names of Hashem is Bore. Come and see. Come and see. So we don't tell people, go to India and go see if Buddhism is going to work for you. You know why we don't tell them that? Because first of all, they're going to do a lot of sins, Avodazara. They're going to be praying to these forces that are not God, that God created himself. It's like if your wife said, you know, I want to talk to you about our relationship. But instead of talking to you, I'm going to talk to my secretary, who happens to be 24 years old. See how happy your wife is, okay? So Hashem is not happy when we go to India and we sit and we talk and we meditate on a blue light for four years and we say, oh, the blue light is love. So Hashem, the, your wife doesn't care that there's something called love. Your wife cares if the love is going to her. Okay, so in Torah Judaism, we care about that. So they don't say to you, we don't start with fourth year. Lubavitch Rebbe says, education is everything. We want people to think and make choices. But we can't say, like they say in the secular world, I'm not going to give you an education. Just go out to the world and see what you're going to find. You know why? 
the kid is going to go directly to the beach. And he's going to stay there as long as he can. And that's what he's going to find. And he's going to be right. And you're not going to be able to help him because he doesn't need anything else at that point. So we don't want him to waste four years in the beach. We want him to go to university because he doesn't understand yet that he's not going to be happy when he gets a pot belly and he's on the beach and no, no girls are talking to him anymore. He's not going to be so happy. He doesn't get that yet, right? So we have to tell him, stay home, go to school, get a job, right? This is exactly, Kabbalah is a very intuitive natural science, a natural wisdom. We're not talking about anything mystical or cryptic. The only thing that, we, that seems magical to us is that there are th levels of, of consciousness that we don't, that we're not privy to and therefore we're outside of it, therefore we have to imagine what it is. That's Avodah Zarah. When we imagine, we make an idol, we say, I don't know what's up there, but I bet you that it's uh, you know ice cream and chocolate cake. Well, you're wrong, it's not ice cream and chocolate cake, and now you're making something up for yourself. So we don't believe in idolatry. We say, stay at your level and attain a higher level. You've seen this all the time. Let's say you go somewhere and there's nobody who has opened a business. You go to a, I don't know, you're in Manhattan somewhere, New York somewhere, and you go to a place and no, not one person there has ever opened a business. They're not thinking about opening a business and you're walking to the place and you're like, oh man, this would be a great place for a shoe store, right? So you see that people don't understand. You see, people just don't get it, they don't care, they're not thinking about it, so you're like, what can you do with those people you don't, you walk away. So that's what we're talking about. So if, if, if you spoke to those people and you said to them, what's a business? Oh, business means I can have a Ferrari and I can have a gold chain. You'd be like, okay, thank you. No, it means you need an accountant and you need a business plan, right? And so these people, so that would be a misunderstanding of what's above them. So this is the problem that in Ashla Kabbalah, he says, don't talk about anything that you're not in. Let the people who are above you talk to you, send you messages, and there's a rope. Let them pull you up to the next level. So be in continence to the level higher than you and graduate. You do this all the time. You walk into a place and you go, ooh, those are the guys that I wanna be hanging out with. So you start to put a shirt on like they have, and the next thing you know is you go over and you go, hi, how you doing? And you start talking with them, why? Because you know that those are all the millionaires and you wanna be, right? You wanna be in that club. That's what we're doing here. We're trying to get up to a higher level of consciousness and we're trying, we, we, have to, we have to position ourselves. The Rav Nachman says, it's a, life is a narrow bridge. We have to aim at the goal. We have to put ourselves in the place. So if I see these guys are going to play golf at seven o'clock in the morning, what do I do? I get up at 6.30 and I go there and 10 to seven, I go, oh, I was just hanging out here. Oh, how are you doing? So we have to position ourselves. We have to understand what the people above are looking to do and be in the place where we can be the recipients of what they're doing. And what they're doing is they want us to, to graduate to a better place. A good place to stop? Okay, thank you very much, everybody. Good, good. Thank you so much, everybody. I appreciate it. Thank you.